0: Hi everyone, Lucas Werner here. If you've been enjoying these conversations with artists, I invite you to come visit David's Werner Gallery exhibitions in person. We're located in New York, Los Angeles, London, Paris, and Hong Kong. New exhibitions open each month. Plan your visit at davidswerner.com. I'm Carol Dunham and I'm an artist.
1: I'm Laurie Simmons and I'm a visual artist and a filmmaker.
2: From David Zwirner, this is Dialogues, a podcast about artists and the way they think.
1: So I would say between the two of us, there was always this um, agreement that we would encourage each other to work rather than discourage each other to work. I think
0: that artists' lives, they're best understood by visualizing a sine curve. These things come and they go. They wax and they wane. And when you have two artists, you imagine two oscillating sine curves and what that looks like. And that's basically what you're looking at.
2: I'm Helen Molesworth, your host for this season. Every episode features a conversation with artists, curators, writers, designers, philosophers, filmmakers, and musicians about what it means to make things today. Hey, everybody. What you're about to hear is the first in a special series of interviews with couples who are both artists or creatives of one kind or another, talking about what it's like to share interests and influences while cultivating totally independent creative lives. I'm especially thrilled that the artists Lori Simmons and Carol Dunham, partners for nearly five decades, and incredibly influential in each of their respective mediums, spoke to me for this first episode. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. It's Helen Molesworth on the podcast. And today I'm really happy that I have Carol Dunham and Laurie Simmons with me, two artists uh, who also happen to be married. And so I wanted to do an episode of the podcast about artist couples, creative couples, and how they how they function. And I don't know, maybe to get at either some words of advice or some sense of what it, even an artist couple might mean. And so I have to say, Carol and Lori, you were the first couple I thought of because you're a couple, you both have equal careers. You're out in the world in an autonomous way, the work goes out into the world in an autonomous way from each other. But I wanted to just start by thanking you for even agreeing to opening up your personal lives in this way. Um, I realize that's no no small ask. So, I mean, the first and most obvious question is, how long have the two of you been together?
1: Well, that's a softball, I'll take it. We just uh, celebrated our 40, the 40 years of being married. And we were together for about six years before that. But I wanted to say thank you for having this, Helen. And honestly, we don't do this very often. So
2: you guys have been hanging out together for 46 years. When did you meet? How did you meet? Where? What's your, what's your origin myth story? We met in New York,
0: kicking around the downtown art scene as young artists who had just come to New York to try to figure it out. And we knew each other for a few years before we were, were dating. You know, we met through mutual friends.
2: And what do you think it was that drew you to one another, especially since you had that period of friendship before before the romance began?
1: That's so that's a question that we still ask each other because we did not anticipate forty six years of togetherness. Mm. But you know, I, I often think about my father was a first generation Jewish American, and um assimilation for him was really fierce. And he was something of an Anglophile. like he wore tweed jackets with suede patches, and he smoked a pipe and drove a station wagon and was obsessed with all things English. So what did he expect from me after, you know, being that kind of role model? He, you know, I know the kind of guy they wanted me, my parents wanted me to marry, but I fell in love with, you know, a classic white Anglo-Saxon Protestant young man who also wore tweed jackets with elbow patches. But fortunately, the good part of that story is my father was watching um, Brideshead Revisited at the time because I knew they weren't going to be Thrilled with the Jewish non-Jewish union, and at that time, Tip and Jeremy Irons really resembled each other. So when my father met Carol, um, he he felt like he already knew him from watching this very long TV series on Channel Thirteen. He was very he felt like he he Carol felt familiar to him, you know, as a, as a person.
0: The feeling was most definitely not mutual. <laughs> You know, we came from more or less economically similar backgrounds, but culturally, at least within white American culture at the time, from quite different places. Right. And I had pretty much had it with the scene I grew up in. And I think Laurie pretty much felt the same. So there was all that. But I I don't know what you can't account for white people are interested in each other. And you have no way of accounting for how you could maintain an interest over this length of
2: time so one of the things that interests me about artist couples is my understanding of um artists from being around you guys for the past you know three some odd decades um is that your work is really all-consuming um that there is a moment when you know really you can't think about or talk about or much else other than the when you're in the thick of a project. And I guess I'm curious about how did you guys negotiate or did you negotiate the demands of the studio and the pull of intimate life? That
1: was my sort of unconscious initial attraction to being with another artist. I think I just assumed that another artist was going to understand. And I was right. And it seems like um, we have not had to seriously negotiate those times when we need to work, because we have an implicit understanding of how much an artist needs to be with their work. So I would say between the two of us, there was always this um, agreement that we would encourage each other to work rather than discourage each other to work. And I I think the only time, I I think the most tension we ever had around this subject were the two times that I was making movies because when you make a film, especially in the kind of budget I have, you know, your movie family is your family family and everything is urgent. Like at three o'clock in the morning, it's important to know if the set should be painted blue or green these ridiculous little um, decisions that have to be made in the moment. But when you're making a movie, a life is not your own. I think as an artist with a studio project, unless there was an extreme deadline, I always felt like there was more room to maneuver. I don't know what how Carol feels about well, I, that. I think
0: we, we've we been very lucky, really. We, we have quite different styles of working. And our work comes about in really different ways and even in a certain way even though we operate have always operated within the same precincts of the art scene our work has somewhat different audiences and different support systems and you know so there we've been very fortunate in that other than one period of time when we were in the same gallery in new york that really hasn't happened very often where we've had too much overlap uh my preoccupation with my work is this thing that's so it's kind of like does a fish recognize water you know it's just there it's behind me and around me all the time but within that I'm doing my life so I for example when we had children I found that um, conducive to moving my project along because it it it, it forced me to start to recognize time discipline which is something i had never i'd applied it to having jobs but i'd never really applied it to my own personal projects so i've and all along different different aspects of being in a relationship having a family raising kids all of that i have to say i've found it vastly more in favor of my obsessions than against them.
2: Laurie, did you have the same relationship, especially around having children and the the role of the mother and, you know, the centrality of that in our culture and the idea that your art is supposed to get everything and your children are supposed to get everything. I'm curious, do you share Carol's sense that it somehow helped, was conducive to the work? Ultimately, yes, but in the moment, I
1: mean, I remember the day we got married, you know, I was an absolute counterculture, badass girl. So the day that we got married, I was really conflicted about, you know, to quote Joni Mitchell, we don't need a piece of paper from the city hall, blah, blah. And Carol expressed it as the happiest day of his life. And the same thing, I was really.
0: Somewhat to my own surprise,
1: but I did say. I thought, wait, I'm, I'm not quite as excited as he is about this, you know, this new husband and wife thing. And then the thing about having children was one of the reasons that I wanted to have a child. I never anticipated having two was that regret is such a big um, emotion for me and also a theme in my work over the years. And I thought, I don't want to get to a certain point and wish I had done this. And also, again, my badass girl acted up because there were so many messages in the art world telling women they couldn't have children. Mm. And my husband will attest to the fact that I hate being told what to do. I hate being told what my parameters are. I hate being told what my role is. And I really bristle against that. So it's almost like I came around to the idea of having kids kind of asked backwards, you know, like, really, you
2: guys think a woman artist can't have kids? Well, I'm going to have kids. Carol, you mentioned that your work did have sort of different audiences, different critical apparatuses, different support systems within the art world. And I can see how it's a benefit, but I wonder also, was it ever also a source of antagonism or ambivalence or anxiety? No,
0: not at all. No, I mean, Laurie started... Lori started exhibiting her work a few years before I was even really trying to do that. And, and I knew that Lori's work was more crystallized than mine. Mm. You know, when Lori and I got together, I was still working a full-time job and I, had, I, I, had, I needed time to develop. And I also was really focused, I, by that time I really knew that I was a quote unquote painter for better or worse that that was the project, that that's what I was seeing myself as. And a lot of Lori's, a lot of what went behind Lori's work, her her own work, plus the the posse that she was kind of um, associated with was, a, was a kind of an anti-painting thing. You know, it was not... Belligerently, so I mean, I was friendly with the same people Laurie was friendly with, but it was clear that I was kind of off doing this other thing from a lot of the people we were spending time with. I was great with that because I needed more time undercover. I needed, I needed that. And um, I, I, antagonism, absolutely not. <clears throat> I was always super interested in. What we now think of as the, you know, the kind of the cluster of ideas around so-called pictures, stuff. Right. I I was very interested in it. Um, It actually helped me clarify a lot of my own thinking about what I was doing. And I always thought there was much more potential dialogue between the kind of work I was doing and what Laurie's friends were about. And I think we all knew that. It's just that the outside world didn't know that. So no, no antagonism at all.
2: Laurie, you were part of such a, an extraordinary group of Vanguard. I mean, you know, the, the way particularly that list of women names got name checked. Um, You know, I'm obviously younger than both of you, but when I first entered in the New York art world in the late eighties, that, and that list of names, of women's names, was like a kind of banner in a way. I feel like I flew into the art world underneath those names. You know, it, it really opened up a space, I think, for so many of us. And at the time, I never would have been able to look at Carol's work. You know, painting was this thing and I couldn't see it. Lori liked
0: me more than she liked my work. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Whoa!
1: That knocked my phone over. I'll say it. I'll say it for her, so she doesn't know. Have...
2: <laughs> well, I guess the thing I want to ask is: Do you think the painting, photography, film divide, quote unquote, which it is not a divide that really stands anymore, but was a divide that was really in place at a for a certain period? Um, do you think you had an ability to navigate it? Were you guys learning something from? each other about the other medium that opened up your works?
0: May I just, I'm, I, Laurie has a lot to say about this, I'm sure. But when I was very young, first in college, my, and even in high school, I was deeply interested in photography. And I, you know, when I was 19, I learned, you know, the zone system and I was all about Edward Weston and Ansel Adams. That kind of over time, evolved into my interest in painting. So when Lori came along and I saw these pictures she was taking um with these setups I I got you know she was using I, I totally got it. It was not complicated for me. Right. to understand why a person would make real art using a metal
1: box with a lens on it. Well the interesting thing that happened was that a lot of our mutual friends who were maybe you know now we call them lens-based artists or whatever we want to call them that weren't painters, would say to me, We we really like lo- we really love Carol's work, but he's not really a painter. Which is a <laughs> trick they would pull out for David right. Sally and a f- few other people. Right. And I would say, thanks, but yes he is. <laughs> right. I mean, it was hilarious the hoops that people had to jump through, some of the people I knew in order to accept that I was with this guy that was making paintings. Right. And, you know, that was like, it was like, you know, our version of, of uh, you know, it was almost like a sexual identity. I am a photographer. I am a painter. I am a filmmaker. I am a sculptor. And, you know, you couldn't really get out. You weren't really encouraged to, to swim outside your lane And at a certain point, some years later, I realized that all these young artists were like making drawings, paintings, photographs, videos, which is another reason that I always had loved Mike Kelly's work. And I just thought, I want to be liberated from this identity right? Um, and be able to do whatever I want, whenever I want. But at the moment that Carol and I got together, you really had to name who you were and you really had to.
2: You really had to stay in that box. Absolutely. That's definitely my sense of things, too. So the studio, do you go into each other's studios? Do you show each other work mid-process? Or are there guardrails there? How do you handle that? There can't be guardrails because
1: we're just in and out of each other's lives. And, you know, we are...
0: Guardrails are more like... uh, self-imposed than they are imposed by the other it's like if i if i need to talk to Lori about what i'm supposed to get at the market and i have to go find her in her studio i'm not going probably not going to be as open to making observations about what's going on in the room as if i go in there just to hang out you know we move in and out of each other's laurie and i are extremely fortunate living up here we have i I think we both knew it but then the pandemic really drove it home is that we have uh a lot of space to mess around and a lot of space to be together and a lot of space to be apart um so we are in touch all day i mean we talked we even call each other on cell phones from Across the the lawn, I mean, because we're in these two different buildings, but um, it's very un- i would say—and I think Lori would agree. For the most part, it's very unstructured. It's not like, uh, "Don't come in for two weeks, and then I want to show you this thing I'm finishing." You know, it isn't that sort of thing. It's much more free-flowing. And again, back to when we had children, that was really interesting because we had again we were very fortunate we were able to get a second loft in the building that we had been living in just as our kids came along so we had you know kind of a living floor and a working floor so we didn't have to do a lot when the kids were really small a lot of this coming and going and so and so we one of us might travel for an exhibition or something like that but for the most part, we were all in the same building and it made it very easy to be kind of fluid with all this stuff.
1: Yeah, I always used to say my, my 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 friends and colleagues think I'm a full-time artist and my kids think I'm a full-time mother and I can only pull this off for just so long.
0: Exactly, it was like a magic trick. And, yeah, and
1: also, because I was there too.
0: I mean, we were um, as close as you can be, I think, given the biological and emotional realities of parenting, we were, co- we were equal. You know, I mean, there, there are such fundamental things to say about motherhood versus fatherhood and all of that. That's, I don't think we'll even get into that, but for purposes of the culture we were operating at the time within, we were, it was a very equal partnership in terms of raising the kids.
1: Well, I'll just interrupt and say this is just definitely TMI. But we were fifty-fifty co-parents, and I didn't breastfeed, which was a radical move at the time. So you get up and give this bottle. I'm going back to sleep. No, you get up and give. You know, or there were the moments when the baby would cry, and we would both pretend to be asleep. But right. but uh, we didn't. You know, it 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 created even for what, however it fell out, it created even more of a situation where we could. Absol- i don't think they had the word co-parent then but we could absolutely do it together and feel like it was a you know a 50-50 project
2: i'm curious i mean this is sort of grandiose question what what role did feminism play in your union
1: well that's a really interesting question because we got off to a really interesting start with that which was when we first started having Kind of conversations, as though we may, we were more than friends. Um, Carol started telling me how he really deeply felt women were superior, that his mother was more interesting, than his father, that she had a more interesting life, that women had a point of view that was so extraordinary to him that they really ultimately ran things, that they got a bad deal, on and on and on. And I thought, this is either the best pickup line in history. It's working a lot better than asking me what my sign is (laughs) or this guy is really extraordinary and he embodied feminism as much as like a white dude who was born in new haven connecticut possibly could um and he just had a kind of sympathy and um and still does, and has been extraordinary in that way as a father to two daughters, and now a father to a son and a daughter. Um, but it was part; it was part of his; it was really part of his DNA. And his mother was a really extraordinary woman. She was a nurse in World War II and got married um, quite a bit later than most of her peers, or than anyone, and and had two sons. And I think that. A lot of it came from her. I think a lot of it came from conversations that they'd had and just feelings he had about her. And she was pretty amazing. On the other hand, we both had these larger-than-life, almost cartoon-like fathers who were like um, kind of a bit, you know, were bloviators and had no idea how to deal with money and just, I don't know if fuck-up would be the word, but we sort of shared that experience of fathers. So the profound experience of a wise mother was going to be even more profound for him and for me. But his mother was wise.
0: It's very easy, in a way, if you're thoughtful to retrofit a lot of explanations about why things happen onto what you remember. I mean, everything Laurie just said is completely true. But I I didn't have a I mean, I was as I didn't have a political point of view about feminism as we would now think of it. I it, it, that came later uh, because it was so self-evident to me; it wasn't a hard sell. Right, uh, even even coming from the background I did and being predisposed to the idea of equal friendships with. Girls. I you know I always had a lot of friendships with girls and and uh, close female cousins and stuff like that so it was it was kind of natural to me but it wasn't um it wasn't part of any sort of case I was building you know it right was, and I'm sure one of the reasons that Lori interested me so much was because it, it feminism I, I mean Lori kind of just was being Laurie. there wasn't a didactic uh there was nobody ordering me telling me what to think or explaining to me how it was supposed to be laurie just seemed to embody she was clearly a very independent-minded person she was doing fascinating work she was a lot of fun to be with and i'm straight and she was a woman and so you know there it was it never really, it, it, later, uh, I, I mean, you always have work to do. I mean, I still have work to do. Uh, don't we all, you know, growing up in a culture where who knows the kind of crap you take on board. And I'll, I'll catch myself, even today, I'm 73. I still can behave like a complete straight asshole, you know, but I'm capable of seeing it. I'm, I, I like to think I am anyway, capable of at least stopping and looking at it well,
1: well interestingly before i moved moved to new york to become officially become an artist i i knew i was an artist from the time i was like five or six but between art school and coming to new york i traveled a lot in europe and then i lived on a a quasi commune um in upstate new york and i lived next door to a group of uh, radical radical lesbian feminists so very early on i had um I had the reading down. I had the lingo down. I had, I had already, you know, demonstrated my young act, you know, already exercised my young activist muscle by the time, um, tip and I got together, which is when we were 27, I'd been, you know, out marching and doing stuff and being active for years. So, when I first came to New York, my focus really, really, really was on figuring out how to be an artist and get that going. So my more intense, feminist, radical feminist moments were behind me because uh, because of where I found myself and what I wanted to do. And we were in that together. That's what we both wanted.
2: Right. So you're in it together. You've worked out a lot of things that other people you know, kind of come to with great difficulty one of the things that I think about artists is um I often think about artists in relationship to sports i'm a I happen to be a huge sports fan and I'm very interested in like productive rivalries, like you don't get Muhammad Ali without George Foreman you know you 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 don't get you know Picasso without Brock and Matisse, right I kind of like these. These um, these juicy, quasi antagonistic things, uh, relationships, and I wonder: did you guys ever have um, artist envy of one another, and how did you negotiate that?
1: No, I was too busy having artist envy with uh, with other artists. I <laughs> I would not. I wasn't going to do that to him. And I'm sorry, Lori, but I think the the actual
0: day-to-day nature of the projects is so different. Right. It's hard to even imagine envy.
1: But I I don't agree with that, actually, because I think you can end you don't... Artist envy would be envying the nature of the career or the opportunities that are coming someone's way and thinking, why isn't that happening to me? Why is that happening to him? Right, right. Which we've seen, and we also very, very early on in our relationship, we dis- we discussed and observed this phenomenon that we called great man syndrome. And that's in air quotes because it can be a woman too. But we noticed, we were very observant of artist couples and we noticed that oftentimes there was a tacit understanding that there was one great artist in the couple. And everybody seemed to get in line behind that fact, rally around that fact, and they were operating as though that were, in fact, a fact. And we, you know, like we didn't sign a contract and say we weren't going to do that, but we, it wasn't for us. We didn't want that to be us. I think
2: one of the things you sort of represent for people is precisely that. Like that, that that tacit, forever unspoken exes Got a bigger career than why was never operative with you guys. Somehow, um, the way you were was always very, very equal. I think that art artists'
0: lives, when they enter the public domain and be, you know start being called careers or whatever, they're best understood by visualizing a sine curve, and because every aspect, whether it's the attention you want, the money that we all need, the um, support system you think you deserve, whatever it is, these things come and they go. They right. wax and they wane. And they have it's, it's going to happen whoever you are at whatever level you're operating. And when you have two artists... You imagine two oscillating sine curves, and what that looks like, and that's basically what you're looking at. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I'll stand by this model. Laurie and I have talked about it because you know you have to. It has to do with who's having exhibitions when. It has to do with cash flow to keep a life going. It has to do with. Um, Oh, yeah, that's when the kids' school break is, and we have to figure that out. And these things have to, you can, that's a third oscillating curve you can put in there for whatever 20 years. Right. And somehow Laurie and I were able to ride this comfortably. I mean, right. not, I'd say comfortably makes it sound like it's been a breeze, which it most definitely has not. But given what one would assume to be the demands of, reality, we've managed to navigate it. A lot of people would have been driven crazy by this level of
2: oscillation. Almost five decades, you guys, there had to have been a rough patch. And here (laughs) you are. And not that we should get the benefit of whatever therapy you have both probably had. But do you have any, any advice for people who really like each other and would like to make it almost five decades, but sometimes it can get rough out there. Well, just
1: because we don't fight about being artists, I didn't want to imply that we never fight. (laughs) Uh, Really important to put that in there, but, but, you know, it hasn't been in this particular arena that you are cross-examining us about right now. But um, it reminds me, what you asked reminds me of this really funny story when we were first together a lot of women artists would, would call me or ask to have coffee with me and say, can you please give me a tip about how I can survive living with another artist? And I felt like I had to come up with something because they were asking me. They needed something. So this was in the age of landlines. And I I said, look, the thing that's most important is you have to have separate phone numbers, <laughs> which it was the only thing I could come up with. And I would say, you know, you don't want to get a call um, and say this is Leo here. this is Leo Castelli and I'm calling for your boyfriend right now. Um, and I actually I laugh about it, but I think it was actually really good advice coming from a 20 something year old who was living with another artist because it was like keep your boundaries and um, make sure that you reinforce them and make sure you don't you know shove things in each other's faces or whatever but, the, the the final thing I would say about it is that the longer we're together, the more we can't figure out how this happened. <laughs> and my mother, who was married to my father for, I think, 60 or 65 years, I, I can't remember, but it was a long time. She always used to say, oh, it's dumb luck. But my mother was not noted from the great depth of her thinking. But I do think that dumb luck is really, in a way, going to be a big part of it.
2: Wow. Yeah.
0: Well, luck is a huge part of it. I mean, I, <clears throat> and and just certain things going a certain way at a certain time. But I, you know, my uh, I, I have a friend who has this t-shirt that says "Your ego is not your amigo," and that uh, you know is also and not unrelated to Lori's story about the phone numbers. But I think the, you know, you've got to give each other the space to be who each other is, and then remember that the other person has a kind of claim to exactly the same urgency to everything they're thinking about that you do. It's a hard thing you have to kind of keep, even now sometimes I have to tell myself that. Right. I mean, I think it's just human to, And as you as you didn't point out, Helen, at the beginning of this conversation, we're all egomaniacal narcissists. So (laughs) you're fighting this (laughs) horrible tidal force all the time of, uh, hey, wait, isn't this actually just about me? Um, So you have to, uh, as we used to say, deconstruct that all the time.
2: I wonder if I mean, it's interesting because I wonder if maybe. The kind of joking self-acknowledgement that many artists and creative people have about their own ego, narcissism, because one is aware of that, because you are both aware of that, maybe it makes it easier in a way to navigate, to see it. It's not some unnamed thing. I've
0: always, uh, you know, I think one of the things that I've always known, and and I had to really be clear with myself about this because of things that have happened in Laurie's and my life as our family's grown that you know my maleness my manhood my you know even in the early, in the eighties back when you know everyone was getting all excited about painting and it was this kind of weirdly masculine right. dimension of art that was we were having to look at i I always thought that was um, I always had a certain distance on that, shall we say. I never really believed it. Maybe it's because I grew up with a name that a lot of people thought was a girl's name. Mm-hmm. I really think it could be something that trivial. Really? But I have a sense of all of it as a bit of a performance and that the real me lies a bit deeper. Right. So I, I, I don't know. I maybe didn't get too bogged down in a lot of this sort of classic male competitive stuff. I don't know, but I have all that in me. You know, that's why I say sometimes I really have to back that off and, and look. Yeah. And
1: it. we, you know, we're artists. So, you know, besides the narcissistic, your ego's not your amigo. We were chronically feel deprived and undernourished and we're not getting what we want. We know what it, we know what it means to be an artist. Also, parenthetically, I think you made a joke about this. We were both in very long psychoanalysis at the same time. We have a very both have a very analytical kind of turn of mind, the way we talk about things. And we also share a very spiritual turn of mind at this point in our life. So the things that, you know, he reads philosophy, I read fiction, we read everything else. The things that we talk about often help us navigate um some of the stuff that we're talking about because for both of us the real goal in our life now is to literally to be awake and to be aware and that seems to supersede everything else we do this kind of like wanting to get it you know
2: I want to thank you guys uh for being such amazing citizens of our of our art world in terms of your work Um, In terms of the model that you offer us, uh, whether you know it or not, of a certain version of coupledom and family life uh, and those things being completely commensurate with um, a professional public life as well. So thank you so much. And thank you both for for taking time on a on a summer day away from your work to talk with us on the podcast. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, Thank you, Helen. Thanks for inviting us.
2: Yeah, thanks. It's been kind of fun. Dialogues is produced by David Zwerner. If you like this episode, please follow, rate, and review us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It really does help the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you join us here next time.